Hey, so this is my uh, my first podcast. All I'm right. here with the uh, the global agenda. So I was I was hoping for this to be the beginning of a uh, a new series. So I'm here now with Omar Yakobi. Hi. I'm Rayson with Political Bomb. So okay, we're here this week with conservative Latin. I wasn't really until 2016 that I kind of started leaning the other way. Um, I think it's a whole move on our party. I am willing to have that conversation and, and talk. Um, but at the same time, um, I believe that the principles that we have in place are what's best for our No, it's interesting that Andrew Cuomo has really tried to distance himself. What we need to do is we need to take steps in the right direction. We need spend money on our infrastructure, we need to spend money on health care, we need to spend money on he seems like a bandwagoner and that he's only doing this because he knows his opinions are unpopular. In the Constitution, it didn't say you have the right to to speak hate. No, it's just free speech. He just doesn't seem to care or understand what poor uh, people go through. I think that and if you are Republican, I think the only way you could maybe win over Trump is if you have a better plan um, economically. It's gonna just come down to how well he can do. Yeah, like man, like, uh, it, but it's it's crazy, man. Like this was just you know eight, nine, ten years ago, and now it's just a complete reversal. I kind of first joined politics with uh, Bernie Sanders. We're gonna build our own socialist ICBMs to fight their space war. Like this is just completely ridiculous. Uh, joining me today, Mayor Wayne Messam. I'm just using to run for public office. It's amazing. And um, I think that um, anyone who chooses to, um, to to choose a life of public service um, should definitely do, should do so. Aurora Loomer. I'm holding a lot. A bunch of folks, and that's, uh, you know, I don't know, thousands, hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many people tried to download the same report. She is uh, trying to be Joe Biden's vice presidential nominee. Thank you for having me on. Um, you are uh, have been an inspired and you have inspired me and motivated me to be to do more episodes because by you inviting me to be on your show, I know that my message is getting out and I thank you you know, it's it's a, a fair platform, and you you, you know you, you take many sides of the spectrum, not just conservative, libertarian, or liberals or Democrats. You take all in between, and you have some lively debate.
Welcome to the Politics Weekly 50th episode special. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. On this three-hour special, we will be going through two roundtables, as well as three new episodes of Presidential Profiles 2020. We'll also feature a deleted scene from a previous episode of Politics Weekly, and more. So stick around for one of the biggest episodes of Politics Weekly ever. Thanks for having me. Uh, and we also have uh, from the uh, from political window, uh, we have Omar Yacobi. He was a guest since episode one. Thank you for joining me, Omar. Sure thing. Uh, and uh, Anthony Cabasa, a, otherwise known as conservative Latino. He's a conservative activist. He's uh, slated to join us later. Um, so. So hopefully he'll join the podcast soon. Uh, if not, I'll try and get him on another segment. And uh, also we're going to have another segment uh, with uh, 2018 Kansas guber- Democratic gubernatorial candidate Jack Ferguson. Um, but uh, thanks. Uh, thank you guys for coming on. Uh, what do you guys, uh, how does it feel to be on the 50th uh, episode? We'll start with you, Omar. That's pretty cool. I'm glad to be back. All right. How does it feel to be on uh, Rayshawn? It feels very good. I'm getting uh, I'm getting memories. I'm remembering Omar with the uh, abortion thing. <laughs> well, uh, why don't we uh, jump right into the news? Um, we're covering the news from the last two weeks, and we'll start with uh, I think this is something everybody's going to be eager to talk about, the Democratic uh, national debate. Uh, so uh, uh, about, I believe, last week, uh, last Thursday and Wednesday, uh, the first Democratic debates of the 2020 cycle uh, were held. They were held for two nights. Uh, the first night uh, featured... Uh, de- uh, Democrats such as uh, 2000 uh, so, or such as uh, Sen- uh, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, New Jersey Senator uh, Cory Booker, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, former Secretary 
former U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Julian Castro, uh, former um, uh, white Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, former Maryland Congressman uh, uh, John Delaney, uh, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, and New York, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio. Uh, the second night featured uh, U.S. former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, California Senator Kirsten Joabrand, New uh, businessman Andrew Yang, New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, California Congressman Eric Swalwell, Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, uh, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, and author Marianne Williamson. Um, so uh, why don't we start with uh, Omar on this one? Omar, what did you think of the Democratic debates, and who would you say are the biggest winners and losers of both nights? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think my, my favorite night was the second night. Uh, I guess the, the big kids table, you could say. Um, I didn't see a clear winner in the in the first night. I, I heard... Um, I heard that the candidates did well, that it was a healthy discussion. Uh, I, I think the clearest bounce uh, was from the second night when Kamala Harris was able to, uh, I guess, prosecute her case against Joe Biden. It, it significantly moved the polls. It elevated her name recognition. And uh, I, I think some had her um, tied with Elizabeth Warren. Uh, so she saw a lot of movement from that. So I, I, I believe she was the biggest winner of, of both nights. Um, all right, and uh, Rayshawn, uh, what do you think? What, do, what did you think about the debates? Who do you think were the biggest winners and losers? The biggest winner, obviously, is Donald Trump because it was a complete joke. It was a train wreck. It was, it was just, it just made me, um, made me see how radical they are. I mean, everyone raising their hands to give uh, illegals free health care or something like that. I mean, I say I want them to keep on talking because I know for a fact that most Americans are not going to go for the, 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 the things that they want. I mean, free, they're going to give free health care to people that don't even belong here. Give me a break. All right. Um, now, uh, who do you think, um, out, uh, let me ask you this, Omar, uh, after, uh, this debate, who do you think is the, is the front runner, uh, in your mind? Well, um, I have to admit that Joe Biden is doing better in the polls, uh, fairly consistently. Uh, he took a dent from uh, the discussion between him and, and Kamala, but uh, I, I believe he's still out in front and uh, the, the other candidates are going to have to uh, catch him or maybe one of them will drop out and their support, their base of support will consolidate and, and maybe they'll be able to pass Biden. Uh, but for now, Biden remains the front runner. What about you, uh, 
uh, Ray Sean, who do you think uh, is the front runner after this debate? Yeah, this is probably the only thing I'll agree with him on ever. I do <laughs> do uh, agree with, uh, that Biden is the uh, he's the front runner. I don't, I don't, I don't, unless something really, really bad happens. I don't think that anyone is going to get the nomination on the Democrat side except Biden. Well, wow. uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, why don't uh, why don't we uh, and uh, to uh, the next uh, story? So the next story uh, involves the newest Democrat to get into the field. Believe it or not, there are now twenty five Democrats uh, running for president. Uh, early last week, former Pennsylvania Congressman Joe Sestak. Uh, and, uh, announced that he would become the 25th Democrat uh, to run for office. Uh, initially, uh, Joe Sestak, he served um, as, a, uh, as a U.S. House uh, member uh, from 2007 to 2011. He represented Pennsylvania's 7th District until 2012. Ten, when he eventually ran for uh, Senate uh, after Arlen Specter uh, switched from being a, uh, a Republican to a Democrat, he primaried Arlen Specter successfully and managed uh, to win uh, the Democratic uh, nomination. Uh, however, he ended up losing to Republican Pat Toomey by a 51 to 49 margin. Uh, six years later, he ran again for the seat, but lost the Democratic nomination to Katie McGinty, uh, who eventually went on to lose to Pat Toomey once again. Uh, uh, we'll start with Ray Sean this time. Ray Sean, what are your thoughts on Joe Sestak becoming the 25th Democrat to get in? Honestly, I want them to just keep the circus going. I mean, keep the freak show going. Why not make it? 30 or even more i say the longer the long the more people that's in there the more they're exposed they you know they expose the truth to most americans who are sensible middle of the road that's going to see that this is just a radical group so i say the more the merrier keep the circus going omar what do you think um i mean personally i i prefer to have uh a, a smaller group of candidates. Uh, I, I think that uh, inviting everybody and anybody to the table is, is part of the democratic tradition because we are a big tent party and we welcome all comers and, and we're open to all ideas. Uh, individually, privately, I, I would just rather us uh, maybe take a few of the most popular candidates and uh, go back to the old days of backroom deals and smoke-filled rooms when we just kind of work these things out in the background rather than having these public messy fights. Um, I, the, some of these candidates have uh, below, uh, I, I believe there's a threshold to make it onto the debate stage, but it, it's it's hard to believe seeing who made it there. <laughs> so maybe that threshold should be raised a little bit. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, why don't we uh, we move on then? Uh, so uh, the next uh, story uh, is involving uh, the press secretary. Uh, as you know, uh, a while back, uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, resigned 
uh, as uh, the uh, press secretary uh, for uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, well, now we know that Stephanie Grisham uh, is has now been named uh, the new uh, White House uh, press secretary. Uh, she campaigned on Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign, and now Donald Trump has named her the new press secretary. She took office on July 1st. Uh, we'll start with Omar this time. What are your thoughts on Stephanie Grisham being named White House press secretary? Um, you know, I, I felt sorry for um, uh, for Sarah. Uh, <laughs> she had to do some pretty pretty high mental gymnastics to uh, defend her boss, and I, I guess eventually that job got to her. Um, I don't know a lot about Stephanie. I'm, I'm Googling her as we are speaking. Um, I, I'm glad uh, the president can find someone to do the job, because it, it's good to hear from someone. <laughs> Those are my initial thoughts. Uh, all right. Um, and uh, Ray Sean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that with all the crazy, uh, the basically the Democrats have been egging on crazy people to attack conservatives, including when they uh, harass her in public places and stuff like that. So I think those are some of the things that contributed to her wanting to step down because she's a, a Christian woman. She don't want to deal with all this kind of crazy stuff. And the new press secretary, I believe... She also, isn't she also uh, communication for the first lady, I believe? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I think she's going to do fine. All right. Uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we move on to the next uh, story? So Robert Mueller has agreed to testify uh, in front of the House Judiciary Committee Uh he will testify on uh, July 17th. There's a lot of talk about what this could entail. Uh, we'll start with uh, Ray Sean this time. What are your thoughts on Robert Mueller being uh, being sent to testify on July 17th? I, I can't. The guy is, is complete. I mean, people say that he's a guy with integrity. I highly doubt it. <laughs> he hired everyone that that pretty much was on Hillary's team that hates Trump. So I don't see any integrity there. He's just a slime ball. I don't see any truth coming from this guy. He's just spread more lies. He, he's he's an abomination. I can't stand him. All right. And uh, Omar, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, um, I, I, I didn't have any thoughts until now because I, I just thought this was how our um, – are the slow wheels of our justice system and and that's how they move um <laughs> this guy spent months uh carefully interviewing um scraping together whatever pieces of information he could find uh so it, it'll be good to I, I think hear from the man himself uh what what he and his team uh were able to dig up this is the first i'm hearing that he had hired anyone from hillary's Team, because I, as I understand it, the Department of Justice is non-political. Uh, Are you kidding me? That that was my understanding until today. I, I will have to Google what you were saying because I that really surprises me. Well, 
if you look at all the the uh the people that he had in his camp you'll see that they were definitely definitely never trumpers and they were not like uh i can't even think of the those two the fbi what's the fbi who were who were exchanging text messages people like that uh lisa page right and he conspired with with pretty much everyone that hated trump so i mean your head is in the sand as far as i'm concerned <laughs> well I, I mean i am looking at a politifact article now that does say that democrats are on his team uh registered democrats so uh yeah not as nonpartisan as i thought so i have more to read all right so uh why don't uh we move on to the next story so uh a new axios uh article uh has uh revealed uh people that were initially considered for trump's cabinet uh document uh reveals that uh uh kellyanne kanye way was originally uh considered for a higher position in the cabinet uh, and Chris Christie was initially considered, uh, the former New Jersey Senate governor was considered for a, uh, a position in the cabinet. However, uh, the most surprising uh, was that a current 2020 Democratic candidate for president was also considered, uh, according to uh, the uh, document, one of the front runners uh, for uh, to lead the Department of Veterans Affairs was Democratic Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, Gabbard is now a, uh, a candidate for president. Uh, Omar, what are your thoughts on this Axios document? I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to repeat that question. What are your thoughts on the Axios document that, that week that showed all the information of who is going to be in Trump's cabinet? Uh, I, honestly, I'm I'm just surprised that uh, Donald Trump was able to find people able to work for him. <laughs> uh, it, you know, this this is not the most popular administration to work for. Uh, I have heard of the the campaigns and the um, the White House's struggle to find qualified employees. Um, so I. I for me, it's, I, I would say I'm just not surprised, and it's par for the course, and I, I, I don't think it's even all that interesting. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, Rashawn, what are, your, what are your thoughts? Well, maybe, here's a thought. Maybe people don't want to work for the administration because, let's see, they're smeared by the fake news. They're <laughs> smeared by Hollywood. They're... They're being egg, you know, they're egging on crazies to attack people that's in the administration. Maybe, just maybe, that might have something to do with it. But I could be wrong. All right. Um. So, uh, why don't we uh, move on to the next story? Uh, so this is about the Wyoming Senate race. Uh, the first uh, Republican, uh, as you know, Mike Enzi is repla- is retiring, which means this is an open seat. Uh, former Congresswoman Cynthia Loomis uh, is the first Republican to start an exploratory uh, committee uh, to run for this uh, seat. Um, she served uh, in this. Uh, she served as a Congresswoman from two thousand. 
and seven to 2017. She is the first one. Uh, Liz Cheney, the sitting congresswoman from Wyoming, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, is also considering a run. Uh, I believe. Uh, oh, Rayshawn, what are your thoughts uh, on this seat? I know it's not right now. It's not considered to flip uh, from Republican to Democrat. But what are your thoughts on uh, this? Yeah, I, I like Liz Cheney. I I, I think that. She's, she'll definitely uh, she'll win if she decides to run. It. I like her. Uh, Omar, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, uh, pretty pretty solid red state there. Uh, I am I'm not a fan of Liz Cheney, um, but you know, Wyoming is good. Wyoming, it's a state of like what fifty thousand people. I think mostly farmers, and uh, you know, best of luck to them. You know, you have <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, why don't we move on to, uh, more Senate races, more competitive, uh, Senate races. Uh, so, uh, of course, uh, Democrats would like to take back, uh, the Senate, uh, in 2020, uh, right now, um, two of the places they're hoping to pick up, uh, they're hoping to, uh, go after Susan Collins in Maine, uh, after her controversial vote. Uh, to send Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, they would like to uh, to boot her out. Um, uh, on top of that, they would also like to uh, knock down. Uh, they're also hoping to win in Kansas. This is a state Donald Trump won by a significant margin. However, some Democrats believe that it could be going in a more uh, Democratic direction uh, after uh Laura Kelly, man, a Democrat, managed to win the governor's race there last year. Uh, many uh, Democrats hoping to pick that up. And now we know that Barry Grissom is the first um, uh, Democrat to uh, announce his candidacy uh, for that seat. He was the U.S. attorney um, under Barack Obama for a number of years. Uh, previously, uh, what's uh, previously Chuck Schumer had asked him to uh, run. He had met with him, and now he has announced that he will indeed run. Uh, Omar, what are your thoughts? Well, it, it's interesting you mentioned that Kansas is one of Democrats' biggest hopes, because I, I think that's where we've had a chance to see Republican policies in action uh, long before Trump got elected. And we, we've seen the devastation that those policies have visited on the people of Kansas. That's why that solid red state uh, voted Democrat this time around. So I hope the American people look into uh, what's been happening in Kansas and why that's the case, because uh, that certainly would help Democrats' chances for the Senate. Uh, they, they were facing an uphill battle, uh, but now that we have, um, we've seen the results of solidly Republican um, governance, uh, I, I hope the American people can make an informed decision. And before I go to Ray Sean, what are your thoughts on Sarah Gideon getting into the main Senate race against yes, Susan Collins? And what do you think? How how big of a chance do you think Democrats have of picking up Maine and knocking out Susan Collins? Omar. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that was a follow up question for me. Um, I'm actually looking uh, what state Susan Collins is from at the moment. Maine. Maine. Okay. Are you? Are we paying attention? 
so yeah, no, I thought I thought my part of the question was over, so no, I was not paying attention. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Susan Collins, I believe, was historically known as one of the moderate senators. So yeah, I knew she was from New England because they they tend to trend more liberal. Um, I believe her seat's in danger because of how much uh, she has been defending Trump and her role in getting the Kavanaugh nomination through uh, and the threat to abortion rights that faces. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, that backlash is enough, because I, I know that was a question of, you know, how much of that is liberal activism and how much of that is, is you know, a, kind of a bellwether for the nation. All right. Uh, Ray Sean, what are your thoughts on both uh, Senate races? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I just don't think that that um, wait, wait, I just have to talk about this first. He's talking about the American people seeing Republican um, governance in action. Are you kidding me? Look at Detroit. Look at the of how Democrats they just destroy no matter anywhere that they govern. So please don't talk to me about about the way Republicans are governing. So that, getting that out of the way, I, I just couldn't believe he said that smoke came out of my ears when he was saying that. <laughs> well, it's not um, just Kansas either. We, we have other states we can look at where uh, triple trickle-down taxes actually uh, hurt the economy and, uh, you know, made schools worse. So I, I hope you take a look at that. Well, I, ju- I just know that if, if you're, if you really look at all 50 states, you'll see that Pretty much anywhere that that's um, that's governed by Democrats, it's a it's a wreck. I mean, the tri- like for instance, when I lived in Connecticut, they had the train to nowhere. We all didn't want it. They forced it down our throats, and no one really uses it. A, a waste of taxpayers' money, and just Democrats do stuff like that. They force things down your throat, even though you don't want it. It's like a like not even it's like a like you're living in China like or Venezuela. I. I believe they want us to become Venezuela. So I, 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 that's I, what I, I respect our differences on authoritarian government. I, I, I can understand the argument for more liberty, but please understand that uh, the results of democratic governance that we've seen at the local level have been strongly affected by the historical trend of white flight, where wealthy people would move out of the inner cities and they would be deprived of a proper tax base to be able to fund things like better schools. Uh, so that that's why there was an urban disaster in this country in the middle of the 20th century that we're still feeling today. Well, I'm not. I'm gonna not agree with you on that. But as far as uh, Maine, what's her name, Su- Susan? I don't. I don't think she's gonna lose the seat because of those two things. And honestly, I don't think these these two are uh, Chief the uh, Kavanaugh and uh, what's the other one? I don't think they're as conservative as I would like them to be. I would have preferred what's her name. I can't think of her name right now. Uh, she was being considered as well. Do you remember her name? Uh, Who from which state? For, uh, no, when he was uh, he was considering the for the Supreme Court. I can't think of her name right now. But she was like, oh, Coney Barrett. Barrett. Right. I would have preferred her because I think that she would have been doing a better job than how they're doing right now on the Supreme Court. I'm not that happy with how they're performing, but I don't. I don't think that. Honestly, I would say that some of these uh, Senate seats are gonna are gonna be in danger as far as on the Democrat side. Some we might win a few seats there and, and on the House as well. All right. Uh, so uh, 
Why don't we move on to the next story? So Michigan Congressman Justin Amash has left the Republican Party. We previously talked about uh, how uh, Amash had become the first Republican uh, to announce uh, to uh, advocate for Trump being impeached uh, due to the contents of the Mueller report. Well, now he has officially left the Republican Party. Uh, He has registered as an independent, um, making him the only independent member of the U.S. House, sitting independent member of the U.S. House of Representatives currently. Um, It is rumored uh, that he could eventually uh, run for president as a libertarian, uh, but right now it appears as though he is registered uh, as an independent uh, Ray Sean, what are your thoughts? I don't see what what they don't understand. The report said there was no collusion. What the hell are they going to impeach him for? There's nothing to impeach him for. It's ridiculous. I I'm so sick about hearing impeachment, impeachment. Shut up with your impeachment. <laughs> there's, there's nothing there. <laughs> All right, uh, Omar, what are your thoughts? I, I'm sorry, I, I, com- I completely missed what the original question was. Uh, was it about impeachment? Well, no, what happened was uh, uh, Justin Amash, the Michigan okay. Republican congressman, <laughs> he was the first Republican in Congress to advocate for impeachment uh, of Trump. He recently uh, left the Republican Party to become an independent. It's rumored that he's going to seek the presidency on the libertarian line in 2020, but right now he has said that he will uh, continue to serve as an independent uh, in the U.S. House, and I believe it's assumed he'll continue to caucus with the Republicans, but right now he is no longer registered as a Republican. He's an independent. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I I was heartened to hear him come out and... um... I, I guess recognize the facts around this because uh, I, you, you know, the, the evidence is building that, you know, and I, I think this is a consequence of Trump's personality and ignorance, to be completely frank. Uh, I don't know if, if Trump in, started out intending to break the law when he ran for president, uh, but I, I do know that he's someone who is pretty unaware of the law, and I, I think he got tripped up by this. And I, I think in order to, to recognize that and to be willing to go against your party is to recognize something that is fundamentally American, which is respect for the rule of law and to say that nobody is above the law, including a president that you really like and agree with. Uh, so I, I respect Justin for that, and I, I wish him the best. I, I don't know if he had to leave his party to make a statement like that, but uh, maybe he had to because I, I know that party members face incredible pressure uh, to conform on stuff like that. So he's pretty courageous and a a, a good American. All right. Can you please please tell me what evidence is mounting? What evidence? Just one piece of evidence. Tell me. uh, One thing that comes to mind was a a discussion at Trump Tower that the president uh, claims he was unaware of. uh, But there was a willingness to accept help from foreign governments. and, And President Trump has made a public statement that he would accept that help again, which is a violation of the law. Uh, you guys are so pathetic. Maybe, <laughs> but we're right. Uh, all right, let's let's move on. Uh, so uh, this week, um, 
Donald Trump once again had a meeting uh, with North Korea. I think the first episode we did uh, last year in June was about uh, uh, North Korea uh, and everything going on with North Korea. Um, but apparently he's continuing, uh, or he had another meeting with Kim Jong-un. Of course, after the summit last year, there was a bit of controversy because uh, there were some reports that North Korea was continuing uh, to build uh, or continuing to test missiles. Um, well, now there's a no- they've had another meeting, uh, and this time Donald Trump actually set foot across the North Korean border, which makes him the first uh, president uh, in U.S. history. This was during the, uh, uh, he was the first president to go to the DMZ, uh, and he was the first president uh, to uh, uh, cross the, uh, the North Korean border and set foot in uh, North Korea. Omar, what are your thoughts on this? Well, um, I mean, there, there's two aspects to this. I, I think one is that I am, uh, as an American, glad to see open dialogue happening between these two countries. I don't think that we need to wait for countries to fall in line before we start the diplomatic process of negotiation and and to try to bring these countries into the international fold and and resolve the conflict. So even as a Democrat, I have to applaud uh, President Trump for opening that line of communication and keeping it open. I think that's a very good thing. Uh, Secondly, though... I am very concerned uh, about what President Trump did by stepping across that border. Uh, it's, it reeks of showmanship and, and making it about himself. Uh, I heard that he didn't bring his international advisors with him, that he brought Fox News' Tucker Carlson. So he, I, I think he sees this as maybe a form of entertainment. Uh, so I, I'm a little bit concerned about that. That said, though, you know, if it leads to something good and it actually changes North Korea's behavior... We haven't seen any indication of that yet, but if it does change North Korea's behavior, you know, maybe I'll be wrong and then hopefully this all works out for the best. Uh, But for the short term, it did hand Kim Jong-un a victory that I'm not sure he deserves yet. Uh, Okay, Uh, and Rashawn, what are your thoughts? I I agree with the first half of what he said, (laughs) but the rest of it is all doesn't make any sense to me. But you want to talk about showmanship? Remember when, um, I can't think of his name, he worked for Alex Jones and they, they had CNN. They were the first and only one there when they went into his house and dragged him out. Oh, I can't, what is his name? I can't, I can't recall his name right now, but he worked for, uh, what is his name? I can't think of his name, but anyway, the Democrats do showmanships as well, but I, I don't honestly. I just don't. North Korea. I just don't think that they, that they're gonna ever give that up. I think it's all just a, a shell game. I don't think it's gonna happen. I I don't want that. Doesn't mean we should give up, but I just don't think that it's gonna happen. I think it's it's China. China basically pulls the, the they're like the uh, puppet master, and they control North Korea. And if they don't want North Korea to do that, this, it's not going to happen. So, and I don't think China wants them to do it. So, I think for North Korea to get anything done, we have to we have to deal with China and go through them. That's the only way anything is going to be done. Um. All right. Uh, so uh, let's talk about uh, the next. Uh, 
so the next story uh, is involving uh, the Trump uh, parade. Uh, so Donald Trump had a more uh, uh, he had a more, uh, more expensive uh, parade uh, than usual. Um, he uh, he spent uh, ninety two million dollars. Uh, on a parade, uh, which was more than expected, uh, uh, and had uh, tanks uh, rolling down the streets. Um, many people are uh, praising this parade, uh, while others are criticizing the cost of the parade. Um, right, um, but uh, there is that. Um, uh, what are your uh let's see um uh it what are your thoughts ray sean on the fourth of july parade that uh trump had i'm like so frustrated with the administration when it comes to spending um physically conservative and he's not acting like a physically conservative president death is more out of control now than it was under obama more immigrants are coming in than there was under Obama, and you're spending all this money on a parade. I really just feel that he needs to get spending under control and control the damn border instead of spending money on a parade at, you know, that wasn't really necessary. Just get get it done. I mean, it's ridiculous. I If I lived the way they did, I, I would be homeless. I wouldn't be able to, to afford to live where I live. They just spend money and spend, spend, spend. It's ridiculous. And the border, we can't take everyone in. It's, it's just crazy. Why don't you try walking into Mexico and see what happens to you or walking into any other, across any other border? I don't understand. That's the argument with, with Democrats. I don't understand. They, you know, they say, oh, you can, um, that we need to be more humane and let people in. But let's look at how everyone else treats someone walking in you know walking across the border it's ridiculous so disease is coming in you have probably terror terrorists coming in you know it's ridiculous so control the border and control spending and stop with with spending money that's not needed to be spent all right uh and uh uh, Omar, what are your thoughts? Well, f- uh, first, I need to mention that disease crossing the border is a myth. There's n- absolutely no evidence of that happening. Uh, there's a rumor kid- about, against immigrants that has been spread and a vicious one. Uh, so I just want to be very upfront about that because mm-hmm. there are people telling lies about these people to scare you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are one of the wealthiest, most well-equipped nations in the country. When one of the uh, one of the nations on uh, planet, excuse me, I was thinking about an old sign I saw. <laughs> uh, we, we have so much room to settle people; it's ridiculous. Uh, if any country can take people in, it's us. I, I think we're one of the best-equipped nations to do that. Uh, and I, you know, disease is not a problem among these people. Yes, no one it has is. found any. Uh, and even if they did, they are in an area that is separate from the general public when they first come here. So they do not pose a public danger. And this is just pure fear mongering. No, it's not. Uh, but now let me get to the uh, parade. Um, I, I agree that it was a waste of money. Uh, I don't know if that money going to the border would have made a huge difference, though, because the cost of the parade was, uh, as, as far as we know so far, only $12 million. I, I think the worst thing about it was just the damage it did to America's image abroad, because what Trump did is normally associated with these banana republic dictators 
who who aren't secure in themselves and who feel that they have to prove something. America doesn't have anything to prove. We are the wealthiest, strongest nation on the planet. And and what Trump did uh, just shows how far our image has fallen since he's become president. Um, all right. Why don't we uh, move on then uh, to the next uh, story? Uh, and this uh, is involving uh, new sexual assault allegations that have come out uh, about Donald uh, Trump. Uh, so these allegations are coming uh, from E. Jean uh, Carroll, uh, who is an American journalist. Uh, she is now saying that uh, Trump uh, sexually assaulted her in the mid-1990s. Uh, this is what she's alleging. Donald Trump now uh, denying these allegations, saying, quote, I have no idea who she is, what she did. It's terrible what's going on. Total false allegation. I don't know anything uh, about her. Uh, this is not the first uh, uh, lineup of allegations uh, against Donald Trump. Uh, what are your thoughts? And we'll start with Omar. What are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, she's saying she was raped. It's a little bit more than sexual assault this time. Uh, so it's the seriousness of the allegation that, you know, makes us even know who this person is because it, her story didn't make the news cycle at first and the media was criticized for underplaying it. I, I think we, we get used to hearing things about Trump and our, our standards go down and, and we just don't even think about these things anymore. Uh, so like that, it's just amazing that her story has come to light at all. Uh, that said, it, it's something that she said in a novel uh, several years ago. She has two friends that have corroborated it. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of a repeat of the whole Kavanaugh thing and the, the Me Too stuff. Um, and I, I wish that we didn't have to have this conversation about, well, what do you think about it? Uh, because it, it, it's, you know, it's never okay. Um, there's nothing good that can be said about it. Um, and it, you know, we, we have this guy on video saying that they let you do it and that you can grab him by the pussy, uh, and that this guy should not have become president. That's not a standard that we want to set for our children. It's nothing that anyone should aspire to. And, you know, whether this uh, allegation is true or not, we have someone who in the white house who should not be president and, and no one should follow him as an example. So, All right. I guess Omar, it's okay. what are your thoughts? I guess it's okay for Joe Biden to to feel women up then <laughs> he but, certainly didn't do it sexually but yeah okay and i guess these um border patrol officers that's that's getting sick i guess it's just made up it's just a made-up thing but anyway i i just think that this is just another failed attempt to try to try to uh make people turn against the president another Another woman, the other lady, who knows what happened to her? She, uh, what was her name? I can't even think of her name. Eugene Carroll. What, what's her? What's the uh, the one who had a stage name? Uh, uh, oh, uh, Stormy Daniels. Yeah, Stormy Daniels. Stormy, look at her. I mean, it's it's not gonna work. It's just it's not gonna work. So they should give it up. And I just can't believe you really do need to do more research. When you're talking about fear mongering, they're not. It's not fear mongering. The border patrol officers themselves are getting sick. What are they getting sick from? From from the flying birds? What are they getting sick from? 
So there, there are diseases that all humans have and share. It's called the common cold. It's called the flu. These are mm-hmm. the things that we understand these people are coming across the border with. It's nothing new. We know mm-hmm. how to deal with it. We're a big country. We're grownups. Uh, okay. What these people need is hygiene. They need clean living conditions. These children were not allowed to use toothbrushes at one point. So maybe if we took care of our immigrants a little bit better, we wouldn't have to be so worried about getting sick from them. No, maybe if they get the hell out of here and go back to where they came from. <laughs> I know that's then... what you believe, but I, I believe no, that's that we not, can take that's... care of people and everything works out. Why don't you take care of them? Why don't you, why don't you, yeah, why don't you, adopt, why don't you adopt a few of them and take care of them? I, I want my tax money to go for caring for them. I'm able to vote for that as an American. That's my I right. am not. I, ref- I, I will not have my, tax, te- my money go towards that. Any, if anything, it would go towards building up the wall to keep them the hell out. I, I appreciate that you want to do that. I just don't believe that's what great countries do. Uh, we're a very wealthy nation. We have plenty of money. If you don't feel you have enough, it's not because an immigrant. It's because of the company exploiting them and you. Excuse me? That's the reason that you're poor. It's not because of the immigrant. It's because of the company that hires you. No. Yes. It's, You've been misled. Listen, I, I, no country, I don't care how big and powerful you are. So let, it's like, think of it like this. You have a faucet that's, that's dripping water into a bottle. The bottle is the country and the water dripping is immigrants. Sooner or later, what's going to happen? A plant grows from that seed and we end up with more money than we would have had otherwise if we had kept people out. Because oh when people spend money, the economy grows and we all do better. All right, let me just rephrase it. You have a balloon and the balloon is attached to the pipe. What's going to happen when the balloon gets too full? It's going to burst. So America is a super strong uh, alien latex material. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we'll be fine, I promise. <laughs> I, I, I can't win this one. I'm just going to have to disagree with you. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, so uh, before we, uh, we leave, anything else uh, you guys want to uh, talk about uh, before we, uh, we sign off? And we'll start with uh, Rashawn. Uh, I, I say, why, why don't we just, for the immigrant that's coming across that's pregnant, why don't we have free health care for them? Or better yet, take them to Planned Parenthood so they can have a lovely abortion like my friend over here really, really likes. And uh, I say that the world would be a better place if they all got aborted or stay where they came from. But other than that, I don't think that uh, the American people are going to elect any of these radical Democrats on the left. They, I, like I said, I want them to keep on coming. 25 isn't enough. I want 50, even more. Because the more they talk, the more people's got to see. Like I said, most Americans are middle of the road. Most, of, most Americans are not fringe like them. I mean, really, look at what Cory Booker did. He did, let's talk about illegal. Is it legal for a citizen? Is he a, what is he uh, in New Jersey? Is it? He's the senator from New Jersey, right? Is it legal for him to walk immigrants across the border? I don't think so. So, I, I say let it let let the Democrats keep coming and doing crazy things like that because they're, who they're, they're hurting middle of the road Americans, and that's that you know. The more they talk, the more people are going to vote for Trump. Even the never-Trumpers are going to wake up and see that these people 
or not? Do we can't do we can't uh we can't we can't have any of the policies that they wanna adopt like free college. Are you kidding me? <laughs> free college, free college they want everything free. How is that even possible? Nothing in life is free. I was always taught that lesson as a boy and it always stuck with me until I'm grown and you nothing in life is free. You have to pay the piper somehow. So the Democrats are living in Wonderland. Do you want to respond to that, Omar? Oh, yeah, it's called taxes. And we actually have Americans that are going to Europe for the free education that they offer there. It's completely doable. We have Americans moving to Mexico for uh, economic opportunity. He asked what happens if you try to walk across the border in Mexico. They welcome you. Uh, so uh, America is not as great as it once was under Trump. And I, I hope that uh, uh, um, we, we learn more about the world around us and that we try to be more like them. Uh, because uh, when you look at quality of life, when you look at happiness, uh, you know, and, and all these measures, uh, you know, other developed countries come out ahead of us. The United States is dead last uh, on those lists of countries that are wealthy. And we are headed toward third world status if we keep going on the path we're on. Uh, you know, Americans are big hearted uh, traditionally. And the fact that we're not right now shows that this country's in trouble. We are at a pivotal moment. We need big ideas to fix that. So if you hear something that's nuts, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to fix it. They're trying to make it better. Uh, and, and read up on it. You know, don't, don't just react to that and think, oh, that's crazy. Go on the internet and see what experts have to say about this, what, what they say that the effects of these policies are going to be. And, uh, you know, look at other countries' experience. And I, I, I think you'll find that, you know, maybe the world won't come to an end. And maybe we'll actually be able to benefit from some nice things if, if we subsidize people instead of corporations. All right. Uh, anything else you wanted to talk about, Omar? Uh, well, I, I think that was it. You know, it was just to point out that, you know, the, these ideas may not be as radical as you think. They, they have a much higher level of support from Americans that once you look at the polling really? uh, than you would think. Yeah, like 70 percent of us want Medicare for all, including many Republicans. I think they the, understand that our health care system is broken and, the, you know, we, we need access to affordable health care. You know, look at the Postal Service. Is, is it the best delivery service in the world? No, but it gets the job done. And you're not you're going to be, you know, be without a package. It's the same idea. This general welfare is something that Congress has the power to provide under Article One, Section eight. It's not just in the preamble. So this is very constitutional. This, you know, uh, three or four of our states, when they started out, were commonwealths. We believed in sharing the wealth before communism was a thing. Uh, we had uh, welfare for poor people in, in colonies. So th this is just something that good countries, big hearted countries do. And I, I hope we rediscover that aspect of ourselves in this election. I see. So 70% of us, we want to get rid of airplanes and we want to take a boat all the way from America to Europe or Japan. It sounds like so you need to watch less to Fox News because that it was sounds not, like the real Green Deal to me. That was not uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's proposal. Really? That was something that Fox what News about, made up about it. What uh, about the farting cows? Uh, so that was just something that Fox News made up. Yeah, and I don't you know, think so. I the, definitely, I didn't even watch. I don't even watch Fox News number one. So that's not. Well, even... I, I saw Fox News and they had a graphic of that farting cow up there. And that was well, their idea yeah, of what the Green they... New Deal was. I will tell you that cows are part of the problem, but only oh, a small part. God. They are like 2% of emissions. So you, you need to, instead of reacting to these really emotionally charged things, go out and get some information. Look at what our sources of greenhouse gas emissions are. And how, would you, that... how, 
you'll see that agriculture is only part of it. And yes, transportation is part of it too, but we're not saying get rid of all transportation. We're talking about moving to new technology to make that transportation cleaner so that we can improve our standard of life so that we can reduce air pollution and have fewer kids having asthma, fewer kids dying from this stuff and and, and Americans dying early from this harmful pollution. We, We can make life better if we move past what we have right now. Well, I'm not sure where your sources are, but and they, they <laughs> took they took the D they took they took it down. Otherwise, I try to find it. I'm gonna have to do a show just so people could understand that I, I, you I are think not. It's like one sentence in a press release, and the media seizes on it and they make a big deal out of it instead of no. looking at the whole picture. No. Yeah. I, and I, I read about it. I, I actually read the article about the media event that was about those farting cows, and they, they just took one sentence from a press release, and that was it. You know, the, the whole Green New Deal is not about farting cows. It's not about taking away your choices. It's about improving this technology and getting us to a new way of having the same standard of life we have now, but cleaner and better. Okay, I'm, I'm not, in the, obviously we're almost out of time, but I'm definitely on my own show. I'm going to talk specifically about the craziness in your party because you are <laughs> just as crazy as all of them. Well, good luck. Uh, all right, so before we go... Uh, do you want people? Uh, you want to tell people where you guys can be found? Uh, we'll start with uh, Omar. Sure. Uh, so I, I run a Facebook and Twitter feed, mostly Facebook these days. Uh, it's at uh, P O L W N D W, or you can just type in Political Window. Uh, I just share news articles from all kinds of sources, left and right, uh, just saying what's going on. And, and hey, check this out. That's great. Right. I want you to stick with Facebook. I hope they keep taking your your uh, privacy away. You can find me at politicalbombstore.cf, or most people like to see what I'm up to on an everyday basis on my Snapchat. That's P Bombshow. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me. I know you guys have uh, substantial disagreements, <laughs> yes. but thank you for uh, coming on to have a discussion nonetheless. Sure, Thanks great. for having me. Thanks for having me as well. All right. Thank you. Bye. 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 One of the most powerful pieces of art in the United States Capitol is the Trumbull painting of General George Washington resigning his commission to the Continental Congress at the height of his power, submitting to the rule of law and the will of people. That has withstood the test of time for the last 243 years. If we set another precedent now that a candidate who invited the participation of a foreign power, a president who sought to obstruct the investigation into the invasion of our democracy. If we allow him to get away with this with complete impunity, then we will have set a new standard, and that is that some people, because of the position of power and public trust that they hold, are above the law, and we cannot allow that to stand. He became a sensation during the 2018 midterms, amassing millions of supporters from across the nation. Now he hopes to be president. Who is Beto O'Rourke, the young Texas Democrat running for president? The candidates keep America great. Their story. Yeah, you're always when you're young, you're always patted on the head and told that you're the future. But I'm interested in what you can bring to the present. And their fight for the White House. I'm the most progressive record of anybody running. If you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. Presidential Profiles 2020. How we could actually make this government work, not just for a thin slice at the top, but make it work for everyone else. I think that 
Sure, if people want to speculate, speculate about running mates, I encourage that because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate as vice president. Robert Francis O'Rourke was born on September 26, 1972 to Pat and Melissa in El Paso, Texas. He was one of three siblings. As a child, Robert was given the nickname Beto by his family, as it was a common Spanish name. His father served as county judge and county commissioner of El Paso until Democratic Texas Governor Mark White asked O'Rourke's father to work for him. Pat worked OK Jesse Jackson's campaigns for president in 1984 and 1988, though he later became a Republican to run for office twice unsuccessfully. He interned for Congressman Ron Coleman. However, O'Rourke faced problems of his own. In 1995, he was arrested for burglary, although the charges were eventually dropped. He was arrested for drunk driving in 1998. O'Rourke briefly pursued a punk music career and a failed business career before finally pursuing a life in politics. In the 2000s, he campaigned for Jose Rodriguez the El Paso district attorney who sought re-election in 2002. O'Rourke has said that Raymond Caballero's victorious election for mayor of El Paso, Texas gave him stamina to consider public office. Following Caballero's failed re-election bid, he and Veronica Escobar, a staffer to Caballero considered a run for office. In 2005, O'Rourke did just that, running for El Paso City Council, defeating incumbent Anthony Cobbs by a 57 to 43 percent margin. That same year, he married Amy Hoover, and has three children with her. In 2007, he won re-election beating Trini Acevedo by a 70-30% margin. O'Rourke spent most of his time in the El Paso City Council focusing on immigration reform. He became mayor pro tem of El Paso from 2005 to 2011. In 2009, he expressed support for ending the war on drugs. In 2012, he announced his campaign for the U.S. House of Representatives. O'Rourke challenged incumbent Democrat Silvestre Reyes in a primary for Texas 16th Congressional District who was seeking a ninth term. O'Rourke criticized Reyes for his lack of support for gay rights and marijuana legalization. In a city of 800,000 in El Paso, 50,000 jobs that are dependent on all that cross-border trade, commerce, and retail customers who, who cross those bridges. The race became a contest for who could win the Latino vote. Eventually O'Rourke narrowly won in the primary, and defeated Republican Barbara Carrasco by a 62-33% margin. Upon entering the House, O'Rourke took more moderate and took pro-Israel stances which many have criticized him for in the party. He came up with a bipartisan bill alongside Republican New Mexico Congressman Steve Pierce to get a border security bill drafted. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but we were the first city in the South to desegregate public places back in 1962. In 2014, O'Rourke donated at least $20,000 of his campaign donations to other Democrats running for office. He defeated Cory Rohn by a 69 to 29 percent margin. In 2016, he endorsed former U.S. Secretary of State, former New York Senator and former U.S. First Lady Hillary Clinton for president over Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. He was one of the last Democratic members of Congress to do so. However, 
Clinton lost to New York businessman Donald Trump. The same night, O'Rourke was re-elected. Having no Republican challenger, O'Rourke faced libertarian Jamie Paris. O'Rourke received 86% of the vote, compared to Paris's 10%. In early 2016, he supported Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan for House Minority Leader. However, Ryan lost to sitting House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. O'Rourke announced he wouldn't seek a fourth term in the U.S. House of Representatives in 2018, instead challenging incumbent Republican Senator Ted Cruz for his Senate seat. I remember reading stories, liberal Robert wanted to fit in, so he changed his name to Beto, and hit it with a grin. Beto wants those open borders, and wants to take our guns, not a chance on earth he'll get a vote from millions of Texans. If you're gonna run in Texas, Initially, O'Rourke's chances of victory were considered a long shot as Texas was a red state that Donald Trump carried in 2016. However, later polling indicated a draw between the two. Eventually, the 2018 Texas Senate race proved to be the most nationally watched in the country. However, on primary day, O'Rourke underperformed to progressive activist Seema Hernandez. His underperformance caused O'Rourke to take a more far-to-the-left stance on issues. Mm. Celebrities came down in favor of O'Rourke. He raised over $80 million, meaning he raised more money than any other candidate during the 2018 midterms. In spite of this, O'Rourke lost to Cruz by a 51 to 48% margin. Regardless, the close margin gave Texas Democrats optimism for the future. O'Rourke retired from the House in 2019. Veronica Escobar, whom he associated with in the past, took his seat. Many courted O'Rourke to run for U.S. Senate Senate in 2020, challenging incumbent Republican John Cornyn. Senate Minority Leader and New York Senator Chuck Schumer encouraged O'Rourke to run, but he had greater ambitions. Attention here. First place, it's 15.6%. Beto O'Rourke, who, a congressman from uh, uh, El Paso, been there a couple terms, lost the Senate race in Texas, obviously got a lot of national attention this year. Look at this, all the names that are out there right now, when you look at Move On, he got the most support of any name. In 2019, O'Rourke announced his candidacy for the presidency and received the largest number of donations of any candidate for president in history in a 24-hour period. Now, he hopes to be America's 46th president. That I'm running to serve you as the next president of the United States of America. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly. And now, part two of the roundtable, featuring 2018 Democratic candidate for Governor of Kansas, Jack Ferguson and host of the Raging Conservative podcast, Megan Jones. All right, welcome to segment two of the Roundtable uh, 50th episode podcast. Uh, Right now, uh, we are here with uh, uh, 
2018 Kansas Democratic gubernatorial candidate Jack Ferguson. Jack, thank you. It's great. And we're also here with Megan Jones, host of the Charging Republican podcast. Thank you for joining me, Megan. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, so why don't we get into the, uh, the news? Um, so uh, first of all, uh, obviously the, uh, the debates happened uh, recently, and I'm sure you both uh, are very anxious to, uh, to talk about them. But obviously the Democratic National uh, debates happened, uh, I think, about two weeks ago. Uh, obviously we were off last week, so we couldn't talk about them. Um, but there were two nights of debates. The first night featured Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, uh, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, uh, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, 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 former U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Julian Castro, uh, Washington Governor Jay Inslee, uh, uh, Hawaii Congresswoman uh, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, former Maryland Congressman John Delaney, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, and uh, New York, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio. Night two featured former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, um, uh, California Senator Kamala Harris. Uh, it also featured businessman Andrew Yang, New York Senator uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, author Marianne Williamson, California Congressman uh, Eric Swalwell, uh, uh, Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, and former Colorado Governor uh, John Hickenlooper. So we'll start with you, Megan. What were your thoughts uh, about the debate, and who do you think were the biggest winners and the biggest losers of both nights? Well, I, I think the biggest winner between, I think it was the first night with uh, Kamala Harris and uh, Joe Biden. I really think it was Kamala Harris. I was kind of hoping that Joe Biden would, um, you know, say more about Trump, but he just he just didn't look very good. Um, they really, she really got to him with the um, uh, busing um, uh, uh, issue. Um, and and when when people tell a story, a personal story like that, it really hits home for voters. And I think that's why you know she she shot up the um, in the race. So um, if if any of the other candidates have a story. They need to tell that story, you know, now because um, it, maybe it, it, it's a long way from the the primaries. But if they have a story, they need to share it. All right, uh, Jack. Who do you think were the biggest winners and the biggest losers of both nights? And what do you think about the debates? Well, the debates. I think I think the format overall was not that great. I have to say that I did not enjoy it. I wish we would have done like four nights and had like 
debate, who do you think uh, could end up being the Democratic nominee, or who do you think is most likely to end up being the Democratic nominee? Uh, we'll start with you this time, Jack. Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to say I'm biased as a supporter, but I do think it will be Bernie Sanders. And it's not so much that he, he, had, a, he had an okay night. He didn't do good. Um, he could have done better, and I think his team knows that, and I think they're going to prep him better. He's used to the one-on-one debates that he had with Hillary Clinton. He just needed to warm up, I think, to the, to the format. Um, but I think he has, I mean, you look at 25,000 volunteers in Iowa. I mean, that's unprecedented. He has the most cash on hand. I just saw that this morning out of any Democratic candidate. So he has the leg up in every other thing, and I think he can do better in the next debate. Um, I think the out, there's candidates that have an outside chance. I think Harris and Warren definitely have a shot. Um... I don't think Biden will be the nominee. I mean, Buttigieg again is a low, like, the, the top four chances, in my opinion, go Bernie, Warren, Harris, Buttigieg, and everyone after that has no chance. But I do think War, I do think Yang and Gabbard will make a charge to the top. I think will be in that, will be kind of, I think they will make a charge to the top, but I don't think they can make up in, enough to win the nomination. Uh, Megan, who do you think? Well, as the conservative women he, women here on the panel here, I don't really um, would love to vote for either one of them. <laughs> but if, as far as a contender for Donald for my for my president, um, uh, I would say um, Kamala Harris or Pete Buttigieg. Because um, they, those two would be easy to, to uh, and also Bernie, um, those three would be pretty um, good to beat because 
Kamala Harris, because she goes back on her word after she's on stage, if you've ever noticed every time. Um, and Bernie, his message of socialism is the same as and from tw- in 2016. And that's why, you know, uh, we have um, America voted for uh, Donald Trump. And as far as, as um, let's see. Great. Now, can you remember who else I said? Oh, Pete Buttigieg. Um, he's, you know, he didn't even look good either uh, between uh, when they were talking about uh, his work in his own home state with um, the police department and um, and Sewell uh, uh, had, you know, called him out on stage on live TV. So I, I, I think those three would probably be a better, a better um, choice um, contender for Donald Trump. All right. Well, we got to move on then. So, but if you thought the, uh, the Democratic field, the already crowded Democratic field uh, was full, uh, well, you're, as Marianne Williamson said, you got another thing coming to you because uh, the 25th Democrat, has now entered uh, the race uh, for the presidency. Former, Pen- former Pennsylvania Congressman Joe Sestak uh, has announced his candidacy. Sestak was previously uh, a former uh, U.S. Uh, Navy uh, admiral. Uh, admiral. Um, however, from 2000. Uh, to 2000, from 2007 to 2011, he served in Pennsylvania's 7th District uh, before uh, eventually retiring in 2010 uh, to run for U.S. Senate. Uh, in the primary, he defeated uh, longtime Senator, Republican-turned-Democrat Joe Sestak in the primary, despite Sestak being, being endorsed by then-President Barack Obama. However, he did. He later went on to lose the Senate race uh, to former con- Republican Congressman Pat Toomey. Six years later, uh, Sestak ran for the seat again, um, but this time he lost the uh, the primary to former uh, state cabinet member Katie McGinty, who also went on to lose to Toomey narrowly. Uh, Sestak is the twenty fifth Democrat uh, to get in. We'll start with you, Jack. What are your thoughts on Joe Sestak getting into the field? Well, the race isn't full because uh, Swalwell just dropped out this morning. So we are he dropped out. Yes, Swalwell dropped out this morning. He gave a remarks outside his office in California. Well, that's um, news to me. And it just came out this morning. I, I heard rumors that it was going to happen, and I saw that he did announce his campaign was ending. Um. So it's kind of one for one, and I saw I seen that Sestak had announced. I think I what what someone had told me that I read that made a lot of sense is that Sestak has announced already after the first debate. A lot of people saying he is not actually trying to run for president, is that he is eyeing for a, ca- a cabinet position in the next Democratic administration. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense given how late he's announcing. It's very hard to build a viable campaign this late. It takes a lot of groundwork. A lot of staffers are already taken up by the candidates. Um, I think he's just trying to get his name out there to remind people that he's trying to still be relevant. I don't think his campaign's going to amount to much. I don't think he's going to be in the debates. I think he's going to be a, he's going to be 
team, but the absolute nobodies, um, which is, you know, irregardless of his policy being his, I just think the race is settled, and he's not going to try to, I don't think he's going to even really make an effort, I think he's just going to say, able to say he ran for president and just try to get in line for the cabinet, um, and with being an admiral, I think there could be a spot in some Democratic administration form in the Department of Defense, uh, that's probably what he's aiming for. Um, I have, I have no other, that's, but I'm almost certain that's what he's doing, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, I'm just saying that's what I think is going on, because there's no other reason, it's too late to form an app to really, in this cycle, to get a, to get a campaign going. Um, do you think that there are any other Democrats that could get in? Because I've heard rumors that uh, Tom Stoyer could be going back on his word and that he could be reconsidering a run. I've also heard Stacey Abrams could be getting in. Do you think the field could get even wider? It depends. I, I It's an interesting thought. Um, I think we're going to have some dropouts here pretty soon. I think there are some campaigns like Stoyer on the last leg. Um, like Bullock, I don't know how long more Bullock can stay in this. I would be in the debates. I, I, I truly don't. Um, who else? You know, campaigns like Ryan. I don't know how Ryan's going to stay. I think some of these people are going to drop out here pretty soon. And if we were to replace Tim Ryan and Steve Bullock with a powerhouse like Stacey Abrams, I think that would be an interesting dynamic. And I think she would be able to get the attention. She'd be able to get enough polling to be in the debates. She'd be able to get the donors. She would be able to be in the debates. I think she'd be a force to be reckoned with, especially in the Southern primaries. Um, I think that would be interesting. Steyer, I think, would be a nobody. I do believe that. I, I She has money. But we saw it doesn't always work. Steve Forbes showed up for president how many times? You know, Ross Perot, even though know, he got, you know, sort of, you know, decent, you know, it's money doesn't buy you an election. You have to, you know, have a policy platform. That's Demo- you know, especially in a Democratic primary, Steyer is not going to be able to appeal to most Democratic primary voters. So, I, I mean, Abrams would have a shot. I think if she is the only major person that hasn't officially decided yet that I'm like, if she were to get in, she could do all right. Um, I don't want her to only because I think the race is too full and I'd like to see her run for U.S. Senate. I think she could do a great job in the Senate or as governor she waits four years for that seat to be open. Um, but if she were to, I think she would... I see why her team may think there's an opening there, even though I would advise her against it because it's going to look... It wouldn't look great, I think. But I think if she does... Um, if she could be an interesting compromise candidate between the two wings of the party, too. Um, she, oh, I think, even if she doesn't run, I think she could be a very good vice presidential choice, however. Um, she's from the South. You know, our, if our nominee is a, a man, we're going to need the female vice president. We're going to need a female vice president. Um, so I think she, she, you know, being from the South, we could uh, add some, you know, racial and uh, gender diversity along with geographic diversity to the ticket. Um, so I think her as a VP would be, I think she could run and angle for VP. And if, if that's what she wants to do, that makes sense. And just kind of pretend to run for president and, and really let her let people know I want to be high vice president. Um, and then I think, you know, after serving four or eight, four or eight years under the administration, she could, uh, very, she could very easily run for her own term. Uh, all right. Uh, why don't we uh, go to Megan? What are your thoughts on the 25th Democrat getting in? And do you think the field could get wider? No, I, I think what's going on is that the because of the number of people are in it, it's kind of like our attention for social media or, you know, our, our attention span for tech. The more people that are coming in, it's just it, it's uh, to cram 
um, information into people who have such a, a small attention span, it it's gonna really it's gonna hurt. And to add more hurt to what the message the Democrats are trying to present on the stage, it it's not good. It's for me, uh, it, it's it's just watching a a, a sinking ship of a, just a, um, a mudslide. It's, it's just not good. It's not good for our country and it's not good for the democracy for the, the side. Um, I mean, just watching these debates was, I mean, there are only like snippets of, of, of people really coming out and, and hashing out the other candidates. But I mean, it was, it, it, uh, to tell you the truth, it was like watching like the women's soccer team in the first half. I mean, it was just, it was so boring. Um, so I just don't think I don't think adding more people in uh, for can, adding in more candidates is a really great idea because people are just solely going to lose interest and go. Well, I already know um, our president is Donald Trump, so I'll I'll vote for him or you know. Um, it's, I, I just don't think it's a really good idea. Uh, all right. Well, uh, why don't we, uh, move on then to the very next story? Uh, so Justin Amash, the Michigan congressman, if you remember, he was, uh, the first Republican, he was the sole Republican in Congress to call for the impeachment of Donald Trump based on the findings of the Mueller report. Uh, he has now left the GOP. Uh, he announced uh, in a, a tweet, uh, he put out a tweet on the for, on uh, Independence Day saying, today I declare my independence, uh, followed by a document uh, that announced that he would be switching parties, leaving the Republican Party to become an independent. Um, right now, uh, it appears as though Amash will be running for re-election uh, as an independent. Uh, though there are rumors right now he could seek the Libertarian nomination for the presidency. Uh, Megan, what are your thoughts on uh, Amash leaving uh, the party? Well, first of all, um, I, I think it's good, great because now it's one less um, elite Republican to worry about. And second, we can get someone, a conservative, in that seat. Um, hopefully, you know, Justin uh, um, Amash will... Um, lose um it's uh and the, the other thing too is that someone once said that he's just trying to make a a, a name for himself um and he he's just he's jealous that he's not getting a, a attention and he's not being carried by you know others in the um republican party um and, and you know what's interesting it, it's kind of like See all the other um, candidates on the Democrat side who are running. It's just like they all wanted to make a name for more than themselves. Do they actually really want to run for president? Have all the stress, you know, that our now president Donald Trump has? Do they really, you know, really want to do that? And the other thing is that they're the ones that uh, the, the Democrats are causing that stress. So, I mean, I, I just don't think that um, 
there's really not much to to him, um, him leaving, and he's. I just don't think that he's um, a big enough name to um, be uh, reelected as an independent. I mean, we have um, uh, an agenda, and it's not with Justin Amash, and he just and and he doesn't want to go along with the agenda, so. Uh, okay, Jack, uh, what are your thoughts uh, on uh, Amash leaving the Republican Party? You know, this was a long time in the making, and it didn't particularly shock me. Um, and I think this is what I think we're going to start to see this more from independent-minded members of Congress on both sides. I think we're going to start to see more of this. I think this is something that's going to become more frequent. Um, because both parties have been taken over by special interests and corporations. You know, on the Democratic side, we have a movement like the Bernie Sanders movement to reform the Democratic Party. We don't have, there, I haven't seen a similar thing in the Republican Party. It's continued to be run by the corporations and um, by, the, by the Trump people. And so if you don't agree 100%, the Democratic Party, it literally has a lot more ideological diversity. You have everything from the Joe Biden center-right people to the Bernie Sanders center-left people. Um, but on the Republican side, it's either Trump or die. And Amash said, okay, I have my principles, um, and I'm going to resign from the party. And so I admired him for that, and I've always thought that he would be a very interesting – I've always – I heard the rumors before that he would run for the Libertarian Party presidential nomination. I think that would be an interesting thing because there are – I know a lot of people in my life that are more conservative-minded but that do not like Donald Trump and would never vote for Donald Trump. A lot of them voted for Ed McMullen or another um, more mainstream conservative in 2016. And they would vote for someone like Justin Amash if they would ever vote for Donald Trump. And they will not vote for him, even if it's Amash doesn't run. They will vote for Libertarian or they'll write in somebody they know. They ain't voting for Donald Trump. There are a lot of those conservatives out there. He would be able to get a sizable portion of the vote. Um, I don't think he could, I think he could do around 5 to 10% if he was the nominee. Um, I think he would also maybe get some um, disaffected Democrats to vote for him, possibly. Um, not many, but I think he, you know his vote split probably about eighty percent Republicans, twenty percent Democrats. If he were to run third party in the presidential election, and I think if he runs for a re-election to his to run a House seat, I think he'll win. Um, even though he's changed, even though there will likely be a Democrat or Republican and him on the ballot, I think he'll be able to stick it out. The name, you know, name recognition in your own district is a huge thing, and he's already been on the ballot a few times. So people there know who he is, and they voted for him consistently. So I think the people there, the, that's going to be an interesting race to watch. I think that could be a really true three-way split. I think that could be a very interesting race. And actually, the Democrats are probably going to focus on that race, because if you have the conservative vote split, there is a way the Democrats can pick it up. But I think the Mosh will hold the seat if he runs for re-election. But I do think this is a very – this is a, but it also, I, I'm also certain that he may run for president. Um, as a libertarian, because this would be a very easy way to uh, get some little bit of name recognition before you announce for president. So we'll see what he does. All right. Why don't we uh, move on then? Uh, so um, uh, next, uh, there. Let's talk a little bit about the Senate races, the upcoming Senate races. Um, so out of the state uh, of Wyoming. Uh, 
obviously that's an open seat. It's not except expected to flip. Uh, but it's looking like Cynthia Loomis has started uh, an exploratory committee uh, for U.S. Senate to pick up the seat that Mike Enzi uh, is uh, leaving. Uh, also, two uh, seats that Democrats are hoping to pick up from Republicans uh, in 2020, one of which, uh, of course, is in Maine. Uh, uh, this seat got a lot more attention uh, after Susan Collins controversially voted to approve Justice uh, Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Uh, now Democrats are honing in on that race. Also in uh, uh, Jack's state, Kansas, uh, Democrats, uh, they haven't, the last time they won a Senate race there was 1932, but with uh, incumbent Pat Roberts announcing that he is not running for another term, Democrats see a huge target of opportunity to pick up that seat, especially after Laura Kelly's victory in the gubernatorial election. Well, this week, Sarah Gideon, uh, the Speaker of the Maine House of Representatives, announced she will be running uh, for uh, the seat currently held by Susan Collins. Uh, and in the state of Kansas, Barry Grisham became the first major Democrat to announce his candidacy. He previously served as U.S. attorney under the Obama administration. Uh, Jack, or actually, no, let's start with Megan this time. Megan, what are your thoughts on uh, what are your thoughts on both of these Senate races, or all three of these Senate races? Uh, and do you think Democrats can pick up uh, a seat in Kansas or Maine? Well, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I don't really know much about Kansas. Um... Well, we have somebody here who does. No, I know. And I'm, I'm sorry about that. I mean, all, all, all I really pretty know about Kansas is um, the barbecue and the Kansas City Rolls. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but um, but, um, I, but as far as politics in, in, in different states, I really don't know about that. And I'm telling the truth. Um, but, but as far as Maine, um, I would like to see Susan Collins be reelected. Because uh, we, we do need her. Um, and she had su- such a powerful message after that, the, the Kavanaugh um, hearings. Uh, it, it, she put the, the, the um, stamp on his um, confirmation. So um, I, I think we need her. She's really strong. Um, but as far as the other ones go, I really can't say anything. Um, that's you know, how I can, how I am thinking right now. So. All right. Uh, Jack, I know you're probably excited to talk about your state's politics. What do you think about that as well as the race uh, in Maine? Well, I'll talk about Maine first, but I'll make Maine quick. I've got a little bit to talk about in the Senate of Kansas. But in Maine, that is an interesting race because there's two different dynamics at play. You have Susan Collins has that incumbency advantage, and that is a huge thing, and that cannot be understated. However, that state elected a Democratic governor by a decent margin, has two Democratic House reps, and even voted for Hillary Clinton uh, narrowly. I expect it to be a little bit shorter in the presidential election. Susan Collins traditionally has been able to uh, get a lot of Democrats to vote for her. Like in 2008, when she was up, um, she, I mean, you had a lot of voters who voted for Obama Collins um, on their on their ballot. I don't know if that's going to happen again after the Kavanaugh hearing. You're going to have a lot of those Democrats 
do it again. And we have some big names running against her. I'm, that's going to be a competitive race. I can't really say it leans Republican or leans Democrat. You know, if I had to put a label on it, I would put tilt Republican just because that would come with the advantage. But if both parties have a shot there, and I think that's going to be one of the Senate races that's going to be talked about endlessly in the, in the upcoming uh, election. Uh, it's probably going to be the most competitive. I think it's, I mean, it's even regardless, I mean, the state will go, so she has to rely on a Democratic source for her. And, and that's a hard thing. If you're going to get some, but you're not going to, she's not going to be able to landslide for two If she wins, it's going to be narrow. Kansas. Well, this morning, Mr. Chris Kobach announced he was running. Oh. 
Manitoba, Kansas voters are becoming more willing to vote for Democrats. Um, and I'm actually very, um, you know, Gary Grisham or Nancy Boyda are not far left. They, they might have positions that are going to be able to make them passable to the base, but also make them um, look all right to the average voter. I mean, you put them in comparison to a Susan Wilson or Chris Kobach, they're going to look like, they're going to look pretty centrist. Um, they're not going to look extreme because of how crazy those two people are. Um, so I think there's a way we can pull through. The Democrats have a shot in this race for the first time since 1996. That was the last time there was a competitive Kansas Senate race. Do whatever the Congress wants to do, whether that's impeachment, which I don't think would be a good idea personally, 
um, to whatever Congress wants to uh, use that for now, if they're just waiting to get that final word from him, so they so they know how to best um, use the findings in whatever way they see best. Uh, all right. Um, so uh, why don't we move on again? Uh, oh no, we have to go to Megan. Megan, where are you? Yep, you do. <laughs> I'm like, hello, can I rebut? No. <laughs> I'm, I agree with Jack, you know, I think it's good uh, for us to hear uh, Mueller that for this, la- you know, last time. And also, just so the, the public can get a clar- clarity and then uh, in, in a, clo- a clarity and a closure of this whole um uh, witch hunt, this whole you know uh, uh, debacle um, that was tried by the Democrats uh, by uh, Clinton herself to um, get rid of um, Donald Trump, um, and just you know just putting it all to to rest so people can move on with their our the lives. And really focus on Jack, the twenty twenty election. Um, you know, so it, it's something that I'm kind of looking forward to and um, going to watch. Um, and hopefully that when he after he testifies, it's it's said and done, and there's no questions. It's it's what he said. It's in the notes. It's um, it's there. It's you know, case closed. Just keep walking. All right, let's move on. So the next story. Uh, so Trump met with uh, Kim Jong Un once again, uh, and uh, this time uh, he visited the DMZ and he crossed the border into North Korea, which makes him. The first uh, United States president in American history uh, to set foot in North Korea uh, across on the uh, in North Korea. Um, uh, we'll start with Megan this time. What are your thoughts uh, on Trump being the first uh, on this whole thing with North Korea and Trump? Well, you know, first of all, I, I think it's it's good on one side, you know, to try to. I don't want to say bygones be bygones, but I know we still have some questions about North Korea and their um, uh, actions toward um, uh, Otto Warmbier and other um, people who are in uh, concentration camps. Um, It's, and I I think... um, but I, I think it, it it is a good step, and uh, and a story. I've been to the DMZ when I was fifteen years old. So on a trip to uh, when I went to when we went to um, uh, South Korea. So I mean, it, it was it was so weird to 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 see what was happening on television, and to think, wow, fifth, you know. 15, I was there, and, you know, decades later, I'm seeing the president walk over to the North Korea side when we were told, oh, you can't go over there. 
but our president did. I just think that's just fascinating. All right. Uh, Jack, your thoughts? I mean, I think this is, I'm relieved, and I think this is a good thing overall to have diplomacy, to have the talks, um, you know, to get the photo op. It looks good on, for both countries, um, especially since a lot of Trump's advisors are trying to push him to war. I think this is, I guess, a sign that maybe he's not trusting his advisors 100%, and that he's trying to do some diplomacy. And I'll take that what I can get for some of his advisors on here. He doesn't scare me particularly. There's a lot of people around him that terrify me. Um, like Mike Pompeo, my former congressman, um, now uh, Secretary of State, um, which terrifies me because I, I always thought he was a little bit of a quack when he was on the Congress. And John Bolton, the fact that these people are from the president, makes me think, okay, anything we can get that's diplomatic, I'll take it. And I'm very glad this has happened. Um, that he was, you know, it looks good. It provides a positive image and makes people at least there's at least hope that we can get um, some diplomacy done. However, I find this I was I was laughing a little bit at this that both sides were equally dumb um, because in 2008, when Barack Obama was running for president uh, to his first term, he was saying he would meet with our in, in, enemies um, without preconditions, um, and the Republicans pandered for that, saying, "Oh, you, you know, you shouldn't do that," you know, whatever. And, and he went ahead and did it. You know, that's how the Iran deal came about. Um, and and um, he talked to Cuba, and we were able to get some uh, restrictions lifted on there. Obama, Obama, for all his faults, had a decent diplomatic mission when he was president. And um, and then, of course, when Donald Trump decided to do uh, something similar, uh, it'd be with a little bit less of a blade to focus plan. Obama really did have a really good plan for what to do, like with Cuba and Iran. But even when Trump was trying to attempt diplomat, diplomatic ties with one of our uh, least favorable nations, the Democrats were panning him for what the Republicans panned Obama for. It made no sense to me. I'm like, I am for talking in all circumstances, talking to our enemies. That's how you get deals. Um, so it pissed me off when the Democrats are doing that just as much as it pissed me off. Pissed me off, you know, eight years, eight ten years ago when the uh, or, uh, when the Republicans were uh, blaming were being mad at Obama for trying to meet with Iran or um, Syria or not Syria, but Iran or Cuba. Uh, those were very good. Uh, those were very good programs. And I think Trump could um, start work that can be completed by the next president with North Korea and allow our dialogue to be at least a little more um, less tense than it has been in the past. All right, let's move on to the next story. So Donald Trump has been accused of sexual uh, assault by uh, writer E. Jean Carroll. Um, uh, Carroll uh, is now alleging Donald Trump uh, sexually assaulted her in the 1990s. Uh, this is not the first time uh, that there have been allegations uh, against Donald Trump regarding sexual assault. Uh, Trump denying uh, the allegations, uh, saying uh, he does not remember his encounter with uh, E. Jean Carroll. Uh, Jack, what are your thoughts uh, on these allegations? I think there's no doubt Donald Trump is, you know, it's hard to prove any allegations, but I think due to the sheer number of them, it is very likely he has done some unsavory things. Um, you know, it's hard to prove any one allegation, but just the sheer number, at least some of them are going to be true. Um, and especially we saw after what happened to the accuser of Kavanaugh, how she was mistreated and pretty much was blacklisted and was pretty much locked in her house because people were making death threats against her. Um, it takes a lot of courage to come out and say that I was assaulted by a 
always come out and make you seem like you're the one doing something wrong. So I tend to believe most of his accusers. Um, and I think that's what bothers me more about him than anything else, because I think he is a messed up man. Um, and I think that, and that's what, I think having him as a president is really demoralizing to our nation. Um, as much as I dislike the man, I wish he would step down so Mike Pence could be president, because at least Mike Pence is, I, want to, I totally disagree with almost everything he believes. I know is a good person. I know Mike Pence is, for all his faults, is actually trying to be good. I, don't, I think Donald Trump has no more conscience. I don't think he, I think he is dark with the power. I think Mike Pence would at least try in his mind, I want to do the best for my country. I think that's why he got into politics, unlike Trump, who did it for self-serving reasons. Um, so, I, you know, I wish that we didn't have to deal with this, but we do. Um, and I think that's, regardless of all the policy reasons, I think that's one of the more important reasons to beat him in the next election. And, I, and I, that's why I'm very glad Mr. Bill Wells is running in the Republican primary uh, to make sure that that's really not what the Republican Party stands for. You know, I'm not a Republican, but I really believe that the Republican Party should be, that we should have two decent, honorable parties in this country. But we really have none right now, but Republicans are definitely worse. Um, so, I mean, we really need to show the, get honor back in the government, and Donald Trump is doing the exact opposite. Um, and I, Bill Wells, I think, would be a, a very excellent. Um, if we had to have a Republican president, he'd probably be the best. Uh, I'm very glad we have a Republican running who is, you know, trying to show America that that's really not what the party is about, or at least shouldn't be about. Um, and so I think it's very sad um, that we have someone like Trump as president with um, all his allegations. Um, you know, there are people that accuse him. And, you know, what's freaking me out, of course, there's no, there's no hard evidence. Yeah, but we saw yesterday that Mr. F. Mr. Jeff Epstein was arrested, and Donald Trump is known to be um, someone he has very close contact with. And I am very, of course, we will probably never know what happened there because that stuff is so high level. Of, if it's the president's fault, we'll never hear about it. Uh, but that does concern that that that's what stuff like that concerns me. And I wish we had more Republicans to stand up to him um, and really show that he is not what the party's about. Um, and that the party is supposed to be, a, a, you know, both the parties are supposed to uh, promote American values. All right, Megan, your thoughts? Well, my thoughts is, I mean, first of all, just, you know, having a, a picture with Donald, her and Donald Trump, yes, they were photographed, but there's no evidence that he made her do anything or anything like that. And I, that, that's just a false. Um, but I think that um, trying to pin the past um, on um, our president is, it's not a good, it's not good for the country. It's not good um, because, you know, it just, we'll, we stay stagnant on one issue and that's the issue, that issue. We have other issues um like um, in our uh, in our states, we have outbreaks of different diseases that you know are being um, brought in from um, um, people at the you know um, from illegal aliens are coming in, and not only that, but then we have um, group, uh, parents who are so afraid that giving a um, a shot to their kid for um, the measles will give them um, autism, which is totally not true. 
So I think that it, it it's really sad that the Me Too movement has blown this so blown this up to where it it just fell apart once you got once you once you had more women come out and then but it turned out those 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 accusations were false. I mean, yes, Jack, the, um, people say, oh, you always have to believe the victim. Well, that's not the case, but I mean, it, it's believing, sometimes the, the victim is more the attention getter. Um, they're not really the victim. And it that's what kind of um, upsets me that, you know, people are, uh, getting into the victimhood uh, because of the media's uh, rampant um, uh, revenge on uh, Donald Trump's win. So it th- that's how I, I feel about uh, when women accuse men of, um, of doing something to them and it never happened. Like, you know, take a look at uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., you know, he he said so. It was some woman who deliberately came and sat next to him. I mean, she was um, a, a digger, a gold digger. You could totally see that. That um, and there's video proof that shows he didn't lay a hand on her. He just went to go and shake her hand and say, "Oh, thank you for thinking of me." There's no proof, and the woman f- followed him around and his girlfriend. So I mean, this is this is disturbing to me that people can come out and say, "Oh, yeah, I'm I'm a victim," but a and have no proof. But then when the proof comes out, it's nothing. So I it I think that we need to um, really uh, more look at the future than than the past. Sometimes, I mean. All right. Uh, well, we got to move on. So the next story, uh, Stephanie Grisham has now been named White House Press Secretary. Uh, uh, Stephanie Grisham uh, was uh, previously uh, uh, an advisor for Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign. Uh, she is now replacing Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, Megan, what are your thoughts on Stephanie Grisham being named White House Press Secretary? Well, I think it's great, and and I think that you know, I think she's she's like a step above Sarah Sanders. If you had seen the clip of her in North Korea, um, the with the the meeting that was going to take place with Kim Jong Il and and uh, Donald Trump, it was fat. It was fantastic. She shoved the the Korean and the the press to the side, so that her fellow countrymen, the news who generally you don't get along with, but so they could you know move ahead and get through because they weren't being allowed through, and I I think that is guts that she is she's strong, and I can't wait to hear her at at the podium for uh, um. Uh, press conferences. All right. Uh, Jack, your thoughts? I think it's good that we're able to have a replacement to keep the seat, to keep that uh, position filled. So it's important to have someone in that role. I don't know much about her, but 
Trump had a uh, a parade, um, but it cost an extra ninety two million dollars, uh, which has led to uh, people uh, having mixed feelings about this parade. Many people praising the parade, uh, saying that it's a great way to celebrate America. Many people saying that this parade is too wasteful. Uh, Jack, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts uh, on the uh, the parade Trump held? I was, I thought it was a giant waste. You know what? If the president wanted to give a speech or something, that would have been fine. Um, but of course, it was overkill, and they brought in tanks, and they had you know a huge parade that you know forced. And they had, and of course, it's good. They, it was impractical. They had to bring the streets on. They had to bring the truck and the tanks on DC roads, which you know, those city streets are not meant for tanks. Uh, so uh, I assume there will be some damage. There was some damage to the roads, or we'll eventually see it when the roads start cracking before they were supposed to. Um, stuff like that. It was, you know, they had they had to spend money that was supposed to go to protect our to help upkeep our national parks, and they had to use it for the parade. Um, you know, and there was a lot of high, like a lot of high level Trump like donor campaign donors were given VIP spots. So some people were saying it was more like a campaign event than a really like a national. Like a nation, instead of saying it's supposed to be patriotic, and so I think I would have been more okay with it had he paid for it out of his own pocket, but because it was a campaign event, it was a glorified campaign event. Um, because you know, it was really where you know, he had his donors up front, stuff like that. It should not, should not have been that way. Um, and it was very wasteful, and it, you know, we took money out of parks and stuff like that. Anyway, I just was not a fan of that. Um, if you, you know, if he wanted to go give a speech or maybe even do a parade, um, that wasn't so Jack, I'm very heartbroken that you would say that. Coming from a uh, niece who's um, her uncle and another uncle served in our military. Um, and I think that 
have you have you ever noticed that when dictators from different countries, you know, put on their parades, it's more of like, oh, we're gonna come and 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 kill you. We're gonna stop you. Da, 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 da. No, this is this is a celebration of our military, which they never got for eight which years. Is not Wait, wait, no, no, wait, wait, wait. I am talking. I am talking, Jack. Jack, I am talking here. This is a celebration. It is not it is not a message that we are going, you know, we are superior than any other no. We are a free nation because of our, our military. Our military makes us free. And under Obama, eight years the military has been trashed. They were they have been handcuffed during a war. Thank you very much. Where President Clinton could have taken out Osama bin Laden, no, but he was chicken to do it. So let me just say this: no, he had President Trump had every right, and not only that, but you didn't even did you see tanks rolling down the down. Uh, Washington, no. Yeah, they, they were, did. The no, they weren't. They weren't, Jack. No, Jack, they weren't. They were placed in different places. Yes, I, I didn't watch the parade, but I, they weren't. And not only that, but those tanks are up to museum standards. They have they have no ammunition in them, Jack. It so do not, do not, do not comment. Do not comment if you do not know what you're talking about as far as the military. All right. Well, we got to move on. Uh, we can t- we can revisit this later, but we got to move on. So the next uh, story uh, is uh, about a leaked Axios uh, document. Um so this Axios document leaked uh, some of the uh, people that were considered uh, for Trump's cabinet. Uh, the document revealing that then New Jersey uh, Governor uh, Chris Christie was considered. Uh, Kellyanne Conway was initially considered for a higher position. But the most interesting uh, uh, part of this document uh, revealed uh, that uh that a current Democratic uh, candidate for president was actually uh, considered for Trump's cabinet, uh, that Democrat being Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Gabbard was initially considered uh, to head uh, the Department uh, of Veterans Affairs by Trump. Uh, Megan, what are your thoughts on uh, Tulsi Gabbard uh, being considered uh, for this position? Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to laugh. Ha, 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 I mean, I, I think seriously for her, I mean, the comment that she said, you know, after the the Trump's parading and uh, about, oh, it wasn't for my um, uh, brothers and sisters in, in the army. I mean, come on. I just I I really don't see that. I don't even know who wrote the thing. And. Um, I, I just think that is so laughable that Trump would even consider a Democrat in his party uh, to to be um, 
head of you know of the the affair. I'm not. I, I just I just think that's laughable. Uh, all right, um, Jack, your thoughts? Hey, that would have been a very interesting pick. Um, I think that would have been a way he could have helped lend credibility to his administration um, when it was already viewed as illegitimate by some people. Um, this is very interesting because putting some members of the other party in the cabinet can be a good thing. Um, Obama did it a couple times with lower-level positions like that. Um, and so did, I think, Bill Clinton did a few keep some Republicans in his cabinet. Um, and it's usually, and Democrats tend to do it more than Republicans. Um, you find more Democratic administrations than Republicans, and then Republican administrations have Democrats in them. Um, but I think Gabbard would be great for that position in the next Democratic administration um, if she didn't get Secretary of State. Um, I truly believe she has, she has a future in the party, and I like her quite a bit. Um, and I wonder if she would have accepted the offer to work with Trump. I think she might have. Um, that would have been a very interesting pick. Well, the source from Axios is claiming that she applied for that position. I mean, you don't apply for that. You get appointed. Um, so if she asked Trump for that position, that, that's interesting. Now, that is, that is, if she asked Trump for that position, that is interesting. And I find it interesting that he wouldn't do that. Because, you know, he was, you know, Trump is the kind of person that he likes to be liked by everybody. That's just his nature. By, by doing that, he would have, he would have not gained support, but I think he would have had some Democrats warm up to him a little bit. Um, had he done, had he put someone like Gabbard especially in charge of something like that, um, it would have helped make him a little less, you know, a little less tough on the edges of people. Um, I'm honestly shocked he didn't do that then. Um, I want to see more of this report. Um, I'll definitely go look at this later. This is fascinating to me. All right. Um, Well, I think those are all the stories we have. Jack, was there any other topic you wanted to talk about or discuss on today's episode? Well, I do think there, I mean, I am, I do want to plug this, shameless plug. Um, I am currently writing a book about my campaign and kind of some of it's fictionalized. It's going to be be fun. Uh, Hopefully to have that the finished writing done in about a month and then, you know, how long it takes to get edited and done out. Uh, but we'll look for it the next year or so, hopefully, if I'm able to get it out when I want. Right. Um, and also that I think the, I just wanted to just say this overall, I think the 2020 election is going to be one of the most interesting presidential elections um, of all time. And I'm going to say something that's quite controversial. I think 1980 we could have a reverse situation of the year 1980. 1980, we had a president, an incumbent president, Mr. Carter, who Okay. 
Yeah, my uh, podcast is Charging Republican, um, and um, I have new episodes coming out, one about homelessness, um, and um, so, you know, hopefully you listen, and um, uh, Jack, I, I don't I don't think your uh, assessment of, um, of uh, the uh, connection, not connection, but, you know, of like Jimmy Carter and today, I I think you know Trump. He has um, has um, freed um, uh, people who have been you know held ho- hostage or you know um, like Jimmy Carter. I mean, talk about you know the people who were held hostage in Iran. It was um, when Reagan won. That's when they were, were released. So and I think that you know the house is the house win. Donald Trump's gonna win. He Donald Trump has more to do, um, and but um, I, I think the last thing I want to tell Jack here is that um, I've yes I'm a Republican now, but I haven't always been. And my grandfather was diehard Democrat, and he helped uh, Truman uh, be re- reelected. So. Um, I know both sides of uh, of the um, party well, spectrum. So um, I, do. I mean, I was a Republican until Bernie Sanders woke me up. I, you know, to probably get a different perspective. You know, I was uh-huh. I wanted Mitt Romney so bad. I loved Mitt Romney in 2012 so bad. Oh, so I'm with you, and, and 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 guess what? I'm with you. Something that that we both can you know agree upon. That was the biggest mistake for me. I mean, and I think for all of us who thought Mitt Romney was going to win 2012, but come on, what a big disappointment. I know. I I mean, it was just, I I mean, especially Jack, when did you, of course, you you watched the uh, debate with him and Obama, especially with Russia, and look what happened. I mean, come on, today. It's just, it, it, um, uh, I, I think, you know, to end here, Jack and I um, have um, agreed upon something. So that's great. So uh, 
thank you, Nolan, and thank you, Jack. Um, it's been great. All right. Well, thank you guys for uh, coming on and having a discussion. Before you guys leave, do you guys want to talk about uh, where you can be found on social media and uh, whatnot? Yep. You can go ahead, Jack. Yeah. Me. Oh. Uh, it looks like he had to leave right now. Um, uh, but uh, Megan, why don't you talk about where you can be found on social media? Okay, I can be found on uh, YouTube. It's uh, two arm, not disarm, and it's with uh, two S's. Um, and you can find me on Facebook, um, and I'm, I'm also on Twitter. It's uh, help my dream come true. It's like in, uh, it's not spelled out uh, the right way, but you, you'll see it. Just look for Megan. Um, and I'm also now on Parlor uh, for conservative um, people who want to chat and not have to be worried about uh, tech conglomerates uh, pulling down your videos um, that people think that are harassing or, you know, are uncomfortable. So that's where I am uh, there, too. And I'm also on uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the 50th episode podcast. Uh, thank you. And congratulations, Nolan. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. The indicators that are being used from GDP to Wall Street's rankings is not helping people in my community. It is about time that we have an economy that works for everybody, not just the wealthiest in our nation. He is considered a rising star in the Democratic Party by many. A bachelor who served as a mayor and a senator, he now hopes to be America's second black president. Who is Cory Booker, the New Jersey senator hoping to win the White House? The candidates. Keep America great. Their story. Yeah, you're always, when you're young, you're always patted on the head and told that you're the future. But I'm interested in what you can bring to the present and their fight for the White House. I'm the most progressive record of anybody running. If you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. Presidential Profiles 2020. How we could actually make this government work, not just for a thin slice at the top, but make it work for everyone else. I think that, sure, if people want to speculate, speculate about running mates, I encourage that, because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate as vice president. Corey Anthony Booker was born on the 27th of April, 1969 in Washington, D.C. to Carolyn and Carrie. He grew up in Harrington Park, New Jersey. He pursued a career in varsity, basketball and was featured in a USA Today magazine. He pursued a liberal arts degree in at Sanford University whilst playing football at the school. He eventually received a scholarship to Oxford University. After graduating, he temporarily moved to Connecticut, joining activist groups fighting for low-income people. After completing this, he moved to New York where he ran for municipal council. Although he was considered a long shot throughout the campaign, 
Booker successfully managed to defeat longtime incumbent George Branch. Booker went on a 10-day hunger strike. Eventually, in 2002, Booker declined to run for re-election, instead running for mayor of New York against incumbent Democratic Mayor Sharp James. James called Booker a Republican who took money from the KKK and Taliban, who's collaborating with the Jews to take over New York. New York's residents criticized Booker for not understanding the area. Eventually, Booker lost by 53-47% margin, though the story was adapted into the Oscar-nominated documentary Street Fight. Booker announced he'd run again in 2006. Sharp retired to focus on his state Senate seat. Booker beat Deputy Mayor Ronald Rice with over 72% of the vote. First of all, uh, I think Cory Booker is an outstanding mayor. Uh, he's doing great work in Newark uh, and obviously helping to, to turn that city around. As mayor, Booker took on a more moderate approach to policy, with many calling him a libertarian-leaning Democrat. He was famous for supporting charter schools, a position unpopular in his party. In 2010, he won re-election, beating Essex County Prosecutor Clifford J. Minor with over 59% of the vote. In 2012, Booker made headlines after he saved a woman from a burning building. The story launched him into stardom. Immediately, many speculated he could eventually become a candidate for president, and that he may be the next Barack Obama. In 2013, Booker got his big break after the death of longtime Senator Frank Lautenberg. Booker announced finally that he'd be running for Senate. Booker faced a large Democratic primary for the seat. New Jersey Assembly Speaker Sheila Oliver, Congressman Rush Holt, and Congressman Frank Pallone all threw their hats in the ring. In spite of this, Booker won the primary with over 59% of the vote. In the general election, he faced former Republican mayor of Bogota, New Jersey Steve Lonergan. He beat Lonergan by a 55 to 44 percent margin. In spite of his previous record, Booker took more progressive stances in Congress advocating for reparations for defendants of slaves and marijuana legalization. The New York Times ranked him as the third most liberal senator though he took more hawkish stances on Iran. On many days that I uh, come down to Washington, uh, brokenhearted and very angry. In 2014, Booker ran for a full term, taking on the likes of Republican political consultant Jeff Bell. He beat Bell by a 56 to 42 percent margin. In spite of rumors that Booker would run for president in 2016, he declined, instead endorsing former U.S. Secretary of State for New York Senator and former U.S. First Lady Hillary Clinton. Clinton won the nomination, and Booker was rumored to be her running mate for vice president, though Virginia Senator, former governor and former Richmond Mayor Tim Kaine was later chosen instead. Clinton went on to lose to Republican New York businessman Donald Trump. Former DNC Chair Donna Brazil confirmed she considered kicking Clinton off the ticket to include a new ticket featuring Booker alongside U.S. Vice President and former Delaware Senator Joe Biden. In 2020 however, 
Booker made a huge announcement. I'm Cory Booker, and I'm running for president of the United States of America. Interestingly, Booker may also run for re-election in the U.S. Senate at the same time in 2020 as no law in New Jersey prohibits that. Now, he hopes to be America's 46th president. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly. Now... Here's unused footage from a previous episode of Politics Weekly. All right, so uh, what would you say is the uh, the heart of your philosophy? Well, let's let's talk about how I got here. Was, was, okay, go right ahead. One point was growing up, you know, Ronald Reagan was president, and I remember idolizing him. And it was it was he was a great order. It was a lot about his. Uh, attitude and charisma, his ability to communicate, and and the way he projected, uh, you know, America to me. So I really connected with Reagan. So um, my grandparents were farmers; those are natural uh, Republicans, um, you know, here from the north. And so I grew up a Republican. And at some point, I began to realize that it wasn't I wasn't going to be able to be a purist. Uh, because there were things that I disagreed with. Um, marriage equality was one. I, I supported marriage equality, you know, from the time I realized, uh, you know, that, you know, um, sexual orientation is not a choice. Um, so at that, you know, so that's a, um, a beginning of a separation. But, and then the, I think the war on drugs uh, as a, you know, a, a, a state-sponsored um program that is ultimately has the right intentions of decreasing drug use, I would assume to increase uh, public health, you know, but um, I think it's obviously failed. uh, And I think it's the wrong approach. Um, You know, recently, I've done some research and I think the war on drugs is really a reaction from the Nixon administration. where the conservatives were worried about the cultural influence uh, that was in changes that were happening late 60s, early 70s. Uh, there were a lot of drugs in those, um, you know, uh, cultural hemispheres. So uh, naturally, we need to stop this in and, and uh, you know, a, a loose moral behavior, I guess. Um, you know, that was at least the perception. Uh, I think if you really look at it, it was really actually a very free culture. Uh, and it was very free thinking, um, and some people took that to extremes and moved to Mexico and created you know communes and all those things. Um, but I realized early on that you know um, I didn't agree with my party uh, on the, the war on drugs on their approach to that. There are a lot of very uh, you know law and orderly Republicans out there. I certainly don't uh, promote chaos, but um, so I could see the division. You know the division there. The other thing I I at one point thought that there was this uh, ability for you know there to be a good party and a bad party, and I thought I thought well the Republicans must be the good party because that's the party I'm in, and I think that's a normal tribal uh, instinct. Uh, 
at what what really opened my mind was I went, took a class called Liberty versus Security uh, with uh, Pam Katz was a professor, and she had us reading uh, John Stuart Mill on Liberty, uh, which I recommend to anyone. It was amazing. Uh, it's deep, so when you're, it's not a page turner. It's uh, you got to reread the paragraph in order to fully understand um, what Mr. Mill was trying to get uh, across. In reading on liberty, um, I realized at that time that's when I began to favor the Libertarian Party. Ron Paul was uh, really becoming noteworthy. I mean, he'd been out there saying the same thing over and over again, and um, the economic models that drive most folks to like libertarianism because it it explains a lot of things and humans like you know to have answers to things and these models generally explain a lot of choices a lot of behaviors um but uh where i became classically liberal so i went into libertarianism for a while and um i've always maintained my republican uh you know um status, but these are, these are political philosophies, right? So um, there's a separation between the reality of the United States, which has two dominant political parties, um, and, you know, what your governing philosophy might be, um, you know, in, as, for example, in New York City, everyone's a Democrat, because if you want to have any political uh, say or any vote, you know, you really need to vote in the primaries. That's where those decisions are made, because the D's are going to win, um, generally, and parts of Long Island, Staten Island, that's a little bit different, but, um, you know, I had these, uh, thoughts about libertarians leaving, um, folks dying on the doorstep and waiting for charity to come along or a free doctor, uh, to just, uh, volunteer their services. And I think that would happen for the most case, but, um, but it's not a guarantee. And I think the realities are we favor a social net, you know, a social safety net of some type. Milton Freeman had uh, favored a negative income tax for the poor. Um, they don't have money, that's why they're poor. We should get them some form of money at some level, uh, which is, uh, I think Andrew Yang ties himself to that. Yeah. Uh, you know, to a great degree. But what, what he doesn't know is that, um, you know, Yang's idea is to print the money. <laughs> Actually, his idea is to tax the, uh, the big tech companies. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants to do. Now, of course, anyone that understands tax policy, the tech companies are going to pass those costs along to the consumers. That's the way, that's the way it works. So you say, you know, tax you know, company X. You're really saying tax the customers of company X. The companies are just value stores and pass-throughs, uh, ultimately. But the um, classical libertarian... Um, value system appeals to me um and it's interesting to see that you know uh dave rubin is um self-proclaimed classical liberal and has had uh, a lot of political um thought leaders on a show and generally um the the term liberal has been uh i don't say hijacked but it, it seems to belong to progressives um, who have social justice in mind, and I think they have in their hearts most of the time uh, they have the right intent. Uh, I really do. And it's either sometimes it's a lack of understanding of how economics work. For example, when AOC was against 
the uh, and declared victory when Amazon uh, said they weren't going to invest $34 billion over uh, 10 years in New York City because she wants dignified jobs. But it just doesn't make any sense. That's what, you know, these, are, these are fantastic jobs. Um, so, but I, she's a progressive, and I think that they own the term liberal right now. And there are many conservative folks uh, who, I, at one point I identified as a conservative, um, who I realized I just like having dinner conversation with, but I don't necessarily agree with them when it comes to um, you know, criminal justice reform. Uh, there seems to be a bloodlust in conservatives a lot of times. They really want to punish people. And really, these are our people, and we need to be lifting them up in some way. Uh, and, and also, in, uh, the marriage equality was, for me, that's when I realized I wasn't a conservative, is I just couldn't understand why you would, anyone would care or the government would get involved if there's two people that want to be together, let them be together. I don't, I, I don't get it. Um, if you can have religious objections, that's fine, but, but the government has to be agnostic. And uh, so it's sort of evolved from that. And then being online, I've been online for a very long time. I was dial-up user at one point. There was a freedom in the web initially, and most uh, folks that use the internet a bunch and that contributed to the internet in the early days, very libertarian focused, very much about freedom. Uh, the anarchist cookbook was like one of those things they passed around, but it wasn't to actually use. It was just to say they had the freedom to sort of distribute this content, uh, which otherwise, you know, was, um, you know, controlled. One of the big issues I think we see right now are deplatforming. And the classical liberals uh, that I know on the web, um, you know, all seem to support freedom of speech on the web, even if it's things that they don't agree in, agree with. But you have a lot of, um, you know, self-proclaimed liberals uh, who don't understand what the term liberal means who are very much, you know, speech is violence and we need to censor bad speech, uh, you know, air quotes. But there's no real definition for that. Um, and now you see uh, Chase Bank may be debanking um, instead of deplatforming. So uh, people that have objectionable um, political views, uh, they will no longer take their money. So I think because of the bifurcation of the country into these, the, the large tribes of conservatives and liberals, um, I think that becomes very dangerous. And I think classical liberalism, hopefully through either a libertarian candidate you know, for office, um, will become much more popular. It's natural for young people, once they understand you know, that it's about freedom, uh, with community, you know, as opposed to uh, strict libertarianism, which is usually very in individualistic um, and also very much about freedom. Um, I, th I think it, it will be a natural evolution, uh, I hope, uh, for a lot of um, you know, people that find themselves unhappy with the, uh, you know, socialist uh, millionaires who may be controlling their party or the, um, you know, in some cases, the uh, religious right uh, controlling their party, that there's this natural home for all of us who kind of 
take in new information and don't have strongly healed uh, positions socially other than, you know, I guess we got to agree on, you know, red means stop at the stoplights. Uh, otherwise, you know, we'd have, we'd have a lot more uh, un, un, uh, unplanned interactions with each other. Yeah. All right. Um, that's about it. Yeah. So right. thank you for... Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was All a pleasure. Right. It was a pleasure. Thank you. In addition to that, and that is pharmaceuticals. The president literally went on TV on Fox and said that people's heads would spin when they see how much he would bring down pharmaceutical prices. She was elected by an overwhelming margin at a time when Republicans held dominance over her state's politics in the 2000s. She was re-elected by a landslide in a state Donald Trump nearly won, who is Amy Klobuchar, the Minnesota senator hoping to be America's first woman president. The candidates. Keep America great! Their story. Yeah, you're always, when you're young, you're always patted on the head and told that you're the future. But I'm interested in what you can bring to the present. And their fight for the White House. I have the most progressive record of anybody running. If you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. Presidential Profiles 2020. How we could actually make this government work, not just for a thin slice at the top, but make it work for everyone else. I think that Sure, if people want to specula speculate about running mates, I encourage that because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate as vice president. Amy Jean Klobuchar was born in Plymouth, Minnesota on May 25, 1960. Her mother Rose was a teacher, whilst her father Jim is an author. When she and her siblings were children, their parents divorced. Klobuchar's relationship with her father never improved until he cured his alcoholism in the 1990s. After graduating high school, Klobuchar attended Yale University and interned for former U.S. Vice President and former Minnesota Senator Walter Mondale. A thesis she wrote in her senior year surrounded former U.S. Vice President and former Minnesota Senator Hubert Humphrey. After graduating, she pursued a career as a lawyer. In 1993, she married University of Baltimore professor John Bessler. She has one daughter with him. After the birth of her daughter, Abigail, Klobuchar was forced to leave the hospital within 24 hours. Things got worse when Abigail Klobuchar developed a condition which gave her the inability to swallow. The incident led to Klobuchar herself going to the Minnesota State Legislature advocating for hospitals to give new mothers a 48-hour stay. The bill passed in the legislature, and President Bill Clinton made it federal law. Klobuchar's first political attempt came in 1994 when she ran for county attorney of Hennepin County but dropped out after the incumbent, Michael Freeman won the Democratic Farmer-Labor Party line. In 1998, she ran again for the position and won. A Minnesota publication called her Lawyer of the Year in 2002. She was re-elected that year. For seven years, Amy Klobuchar has led the largest prosecutor's office in Minnesota. She's earned a reputation as tough and fair. I've approached my job as chief prosecutor with the simple idea that I do my job without fear or favor. Isn't that what they should be doing in Washington?
In 2006, Klobuchar finally got her big break when incumbent Democratic Minnesota's U.S. Senator Mark Dayton announced retirement after just one term due to him being unhappy with the then state of Washington. Klobuchar announced her candidacy, being challenged by just one minor Democrat in the primary whom she defeated with over 92 percent of the vote. She faced Republican Congressman Mark Kennedy in the general election. The race was initially considered competitive, as Minnesota not only had a Republican governor at the time, but the only senator was a Republican and the Minnesota state legislature was also controlled by Republicans. In spite of this, Klobuchar beat Kennedy by a 58 to 38 percent margin. I come to the Senate floor today to speak about the loss of one of Minnesota's own, and that's Prince. Klobuchar enjoyed high approval ratings with polls in 2009 indicating 58% of Minnesota's residents approved of the job she was doing as senator, while only 36% disapproved. Polls in 2010 indicated 67% of Minnesota residents liked the job she did. Klobuchar gained a reputation as a moderate senator who worked across the aisle. In 2012, she won re-election by a 65 to 32 percent margin over Republican state lawmaker Kurt Bills. In 2016, she endorsed former U.S. Secretary of State, former New York Senator and former U.S. First Lady Hillary Clinton for president in 2016. Rumors emerged that Klobuchar could be Clinton's pick for U.S. Attorney General should she win the presidency. However, Clinton lost to Republican New York businessman Donald Trump. Klobuchar called for an independent investigation into potential Russian collusion during the 2016 presidential election. In 2017, the Star Tribune reported Klobuchar held a 72% approval rating. In 2018, she sought re-election again, facing Republican state lawmaker Jim Neuberger. Klobuchar beat Neuberger by a 60-36% margin. In 2019, Klobuchar came under fire for a report from BuzzFeed that claimed Klobuchar's employees faced abusive conditions. In spite of this, she made a huge announcement. To announce my candidacy for President of the United States. Now, she hopes to be America's 46th president and the first woman president. For more presidential profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly.